time is ill, mad and keep static like wool fabric. Today's podcast, uh, Britain's A Podcast episode, I don't even know what the hell number it is because we've done so many, but none of them have been popping. But anyway, uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about the Harlem Renaissance and how some of the running themes still apply to uh, today's environment, especially with the social movements that we see taking place at the current time. And I thought it was kind of really cool, all the parallels we right. can draw together. Right. You know, um, how do you feel about the topic? Right. Well, I was really excited when you brought the topic to me. Um, so maybe give a little background of what sparked this idea. Ah, a little background. So um, I was having a conversation about uh, Jay-Z's recent 444 album. came out last year. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about it with my white coworker and I'm kind of of the mindset that it was like really time sensitive and it really came at a good time. Uh-huh. And in my opinion, it's one of the more important albums to the culture in a while. And I, I say that because if any piece of work embodied what it meant means or meant to be financially free and the definition of black empowerment, like this was the album, like not only in content, but how it was, distributed um uh-huh. i don't know if you know how it was but jay-z released it on his own platform right first title right. it goes platinum pretty much in a week mm-hmm. and then he releases it to the masses so he's kind of showing and proving that he doesn't need the establishment for success that he built something so strong he can he doesn't have to look for any handout or any help from an outside source yeah. and i just think that was super dope so yeah definitely as I'm explaining this to my, my co-worker, he's kind of just like, I'm like, what did you think about it? He was like, <laughs> meh. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, like, course. meh. Yeah. And he like, he's just critiquing the album. Okay. Uh, and it doesn't have to be your best album, but it wasn't as important to him as it was to me. Right, right. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that kind of spawned, uh, I don't know, just an interest to see to see these 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 times in history when when we release something for the culture or whatever right. and just i don't know i've always been interested in the harlem renaissance yeah so definitely. i just got curious wanted to jump back because i think we're kind of in the same type of explosion as far as as far as like content wise and right and, and it's just good to look back and really see what took place because you know we really didn't learn much about it in school mm-hmm. we know the general you know one page in the social studies book <laughs> pretty much pretty much so you guys gonna have to bear with us this is our first time actually covering like a, a topic that we had to do research for so we got to kind of give you a recap of the harlem renaissance in order to proceed with how it relates today so right. uh pretty much if you don't know the harlem renaissance was an intellectual social and artistic explosion that took place in harlem and started in the 1920s uh and talk about how it wasn't just some boom, you know, just pow, all of a sudden all this happened. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the more like interesting things that I interesting things that I found out is the way it was presented or the way I interpreted it growing up was that it was just just happened. Right. Um it was a lot more deliberate mm-hmm. and it was really orchestrated by uh I don't it was a couple people, but one of the most noteworthy people is W W B Du Bois. Mm-hmm. And pretty much what happened was you had you had uh, the narrative or the the portrayal of black people at the time was very stereotypical. It was nothing but blackface. Yeah. Nothing but racist imagery. Right. And to combat that, uh, W.B. Du Bois actually commissioned artists to paint African-Americans in a more more. Uh, Give me the word, Brit. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> in a better uh, light. Well, to humanize us. <laughs> pretty much, we yeah, pretty yeah. much. This was an attempt to be humanized, uh, to combat the hurtful imagery. Right, and I mean, we're gonna kind of bounce around, but it pretty much took place after uh, an event labeled the Red Summer of nineteen nineteen. Mm-hmm. 
which came from when we were, I guess, you know, feeling ourselves a little bit too much for them. (laughs) So they decided, you know, to pretty much wage, I don't want to say an all out war, but, you know, there were a few, not a few, a good amount of cities that had these, I don't know if I should call them race riots, but, you know, pretty much they were going after black people, lynching, you know, women, men and children. Mm-hmm. And it lasted, you know, for that summer and it was pretty bloody. Um, yeah. So after that, that's kind of when W.E.B. Du Bois decided, you know, we got to do something. Mm-hmm. So well, what you had, that was like a contributing factor to the Great Migration. Mm-hmm. Um, you had this period of time where uh, blacks were moving away from southern states, uh, either for better opportunities because there were labor shortages in the northern factories because this is around the time this is World War One, World yeah. War One. So there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of opportunity in the northern states for them to come and work, mm-hmm. um, and they were actually recruiting southern black workers to fill the the vacancies opened. Uh, so in order to get a, in order to get more opportunity, right, and in order to escape. The South, which was very violent at the time. I mean, it's no coincidence that uh, at the same time, the KKK Mm -hmm. really rose and lynchings really rose because not only do you have free black people, which obviously pisses people off (laughs) even even today, uh, they are able to they are able to further themselves with this newfound freedom and build for themselves economically. So it's kind of like we had a chip on our shoulder, you know, right, <laughs> it's kind of right. like we, we're feeling ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, um, this is our first opportunity to play catch up in America. Right. So and especially after, I mean, there were, uh, I don't know the exact number, but there were a good amount of blacks that served in World War One. I. I mean, mm-hmm. some of them had the motive of trying to show their patriotism and that's why they went and fought overseas. But two, the black people that went overseas, you know, and saw how, you know, good life can be and they didn't deal with so much as much discrimination as they did back here in the States. You know, they came back like they're not going to no, like they're not going to settle for that bullshit. You're not going to yeah. treat me like that, especially after I went over and fought for the country. So yeah. it was funny because one of the when I was like looking at documentaries, one of the songs was a. Uh, one of the songs that was playing, I don't know, it was like some old tune. It was like, how are you going to keep them? How are you going to keep them on the farm after they've seen Paris? Okay. So, yeah. So it's kind of like, how, how are you going to treat them the same way after they went and, and lost lives and shed blood? And, right. and for for uh, uh, an America that really hasn't shown any value. Right. Like, it really hasn't shown that black people have any value, you know? Right. So the culture at the time... Black culture at the time was just pretty much of just a newfound freedom and kind of just like we first time in our history, we kind of getting it together. And that's where you see the rise of Black Wall Street. Real quick. I'm sorry. Did you see the movie um, Mudbound? I didn't. Oh, okay. Because it's some, like that's kind of similar around that time. And the main character, he had went overseas and, you know what I mean, was in the war and was, you know, living a really nice life and yeah. didn't really want to come back. So when he came back, you know, to the same old shit, it was just like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, you're not going to treat me the same way after I've shown my patriotism. Right. You know, so we have a, a boom kind of like we're getting we're surging we're right. surging in this environment even though there's still big tree even though there's still violence mm-hmm. we are still rising to the occasion and, and progressing as a as a culture you right. know contrarily <laughs> uh white culture at the time whenever there is black people furthering themselves there's always kind of a resistance right so our confidence or our newfound freedom that that gave us new black confidence mm-hmm. to the average white racist white person at the time would be we being some uppity negroes right you know and that's when you see the rise of the kkk that's when you see uh the black codes that was racist legislation so even though we're free they try mm-hmm. to limit the things we can have so you have limitations on property ownership mm-hmm. you have the inception of labor unions labor unions were pretty racist in their uh Except inception, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and if you didn't have that, you just had outright violence because right. it was just fucking fucking niggas up. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. Um, but on the other side of that, mm-hmm. white culture, and this is one of the themes. I think white culture always is dependent on black culture. Right. Um, white culture at that time. There was some people that felt that it was too commercialized, mm-hmm. uh, mundane, and just just phony, and just there was no thrill, there was no fun in life. It was just you go to work, da da da. Like right. you had to see some of the stuff they they, they were doing at the time, They're dancing all stiff and <laughs> whatever it is, <laughs> you know. And, you know, if it, yes. if anything stays constant, black people know how to have a good time, right? So, so this is when you have an idea of a first wave of white bohemianism, mm-hmm. just an unconventional lifestyle, a pursuit of pleasure, satisfying appetite instead of denying it, you know? Right. And blacks were fighting to be looked at as human. Right. Um, but in the same token, they were still looked at, looked at as, as primitive. Mm-hmm. And it was almost the primitive side is what white people wanted to coin on. So Mm -hmm. they kind of look to black culture and the things we could do as a, as a, uh, I I can't even get it out. Um, as a way to do it. Yeah. Just an outlet, like (laughs) pretty much just an outlet for it. Right. And that's back to them coming to Harlem. You know, <laughs> Harlem, Harlem was the spot to be so they can mm-hmm. satisfy these appetites. Right. You know, with their racist ass cotton club. <laughs> right. Racist ass cotton club. Cotton um, club. Uh, interesting about the cotton club. Black people couldn't get into it. They can only perform. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can only. Yeah, they only perform and be just employees there. Yeah. Weren't there some stipulations of, of what was acceptable? Yeah, it was um, pretty much you had to be, well, as far as the women, I guess, I don't know if they were dancers or what, but, Mm. you know, they were, um, they had to be five, at least five, six, light skinned and under 21 years old. And the the place was decorated as a stylish plantation environment. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, yeah, how how great is that? And, um, you know, the workers were depicted as exotic savages or plantation residents. Mm. So, you know, yeah, let's make the 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 cotton farms a stylish nightclub. That's yeah. Fucking assholes. Kind of like holding on, (laughs) holding on to the good old days. Yeah. Right. Right, mm-hmm. bringing it back to the good old days. Uh, one of the quotes that I found in the research that I was doing kind of, kind of uh, points to this, and it said, "So thousands of whites come to Harlem night after night, thinking that Negroes love to have them there, and firmly believe that Harlemites left their houses at sundown to sing and dance in cabarets because most of the whites only saw nothing but the cabarets, not the houses. Right. So it's kind of just like turning Harlem into like a tourist spot. And right. by Harlem, like I think for this conversation's purpose, whenever we refer to Harlem, we're just referring to black culture, period. So it's like they're not looking at Harlem as a tourist spot. It's really just black culture, a place where they can indulge mm-hmm. and just go back to the regular status quo because what you had for as much as for as much as black and white culture were merging at the time, you still had these racist Jim Crow ideals of segregation. So the cotton right. club cotton club was no blacks allowed, mm-hmm. you know? But the Savoy Ballroom around the corner mm-hmm. had blacks and whites dancing together. Right. Um, so if we can jump back just to the black confidence at the time. Well, I, I was going to touch on oh, go that ahead, will go segue ahead. into that. But real quick back. So back when, you know, they were orchestrating the Harlem Renaissance and getting these artists together and, you know, trying to, well, I don't want to go too far into it, go but ahead. you know how the man um, Mason, no, not Mason, that's the woman, sorry, Harmon. Harmon. Okay, William Harmon. Yeah, so just talk real quick about Harmon. I just want to talk about the struggle the artists were having. Okay, so William Harmon was pretty much a investor. A very wealthy white man who invested money into the black artists at the time. Mm-hmm. He hosted a bunch of... He started a William E. Harmon Foundation. 
And hold up, I'm just trying to get to my notes so I don't say anything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> uh... So he started the William E. Harmon Foundation, and it was pretty much a place where black artists can showcase. Because at the time, black artists weren't allowed to go to universities and didn't have the same opportunities to get noticed. Knowing that there was a void in that, William E. Harmon stepped in and started the William E. Harmon Foundation. And this was the way to get people to recognize black art. Mm -hmm. Um, It's good to note that the William E. Harmon Foundation didn't consider them didn't consider themselves art authoritarians. Um, they didn't critique the art the art itself. They just congregated the art together so people can come and look at it. Right. So they had like a just like kind of like a hands off approach. Here's the art. You guys make right. what it is. They you know? did offer like a a prize award though, right? Yeah, they did. They did. Um, but so I guess also... that's kind of what motivated people to submit their art and to create. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they the black artists at the time were really struggling with, you know, what type of content to create. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, is it too European? Is it too black? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're really struggling, you know, just eh, I guess basically to, you know, do what's acceptable. Yeah. And. You know, everybody, I mean, considering that we are black, we never lived in Africa, um, you know, it's always been kind of a struggle of doing what's inside of you. So some people are going to feel more connected to Africa and some people are not. It's really, you know, Mm -hmm. personal to you. But some people, uh, Elaine Locke being one of the main persons that I can think of, he was one of the people, one of the artists pushing during that time, you know, to really, you should, all, everybody should be gathering their inspiration from Africa. Mm. Like, I don't want to see this cutesy little, nah, we need some <laughs> ethnic tribal. <laughs> right. I don't want no landscape. Know. Right. And also, I guess it should be noted that none of the art sold that the yep. Harmon Foundation put on display. And that's just mind boggling, especially mm. if you guys want to go and just look for yourselves and see the type of art they're creating is beautiful. And it's not like a lot of the times it was landscapes. So mm. it's not like all of it looked black, even though mm. a lot of the subject matters were black. Some of the stuff was literally landscapes, houses, nature, you know, uh-huh. and people still didn't want to buy the art because there's still that, you know, stigma with it that they don't want that you know they don't want no black art in their house yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. but they did come out to look at it because it was a spectacle Ooh, let's see what the black people can do uh, you know, let's see yeah. what they can create <laughs> yeah so um more about that like you get this kind of conflicted artist because i don't know to be an artist period um i feel like a lot has to do with self-expression so when you get to a point where you people are dictating or you feel conflicted of expressing yourself freely or what you're expected to make right you're compromising you're compromising the culture or one can view that you're compromising the culture if you're not reaching back right for traditional black art right. and you're doing a more european style mm-hmm. one can also say you're compromising the culture if you're not reaching within inside yourself or you're mm-hmm. compromising yourself if you're not reaching inside yourself and just doing what you want. Right. Um, and some of it could be like, if you're doing a European style on the flip side, if you're doing a European style of art or anything, mm-hmm. um, are you doing it just to appeal to Europeans, mm-hmm. you know, just to sell work? So it's kind of like, are, are you selling out? And I think black people might be the only people that are, really forced to ask themselves that question or black people in america right exactly in america yeah and i think that's just the struggle that is still going on with Mm -hmm. you know am i black enough you know what i mean that Mm -hmm. black people in america always have to think of it what is what i'm doing acceptable you know we always have to make sure it's not we don't have to but i don't think we can help but to always keep the white audience in mind because that's just what we're surrounded by. Mm-hmm. And in all honesty, you know what I mean? Like that's within all of us here growing up in America, we have those both sides. We can't say, you yeah. know what I mean? I'm just strictly, you know, 
all black this and that like yeah i asked you i asked you earlier last week i said uh do you think the biggest issue with african-americans that we face is that we don't embrace african-american culture as a legitimate culture right and i think that now especially with social media and all of us being able to connect more and share more ideas i think that it's starting to become more legitimate Mm -hmm. um i think that we didn't have the confidence before um or i guess the validation is a better word before that you know what i mean that we mm-hmm. do have a culture we're creating it are we accepting it though i think that's one of that's the what I, that's what i was saying i think that now we're starting to accept it more just because we're able to get the validation and share our ideas more so with many people because mm-hmm. of the internet um because yeah like we it was all stripped from us and we're just taught that our culture is slavery that's it pretty much you know pretty much so yeah that is a huge struggle that we deal with you know living here and having the history that we have Mm -hmm. and it's almost uh it feels like with black creativity there almost has to be some aspect of white validation in order for it to catch and it's like does black art always need a white audience to be considered legitimate you know, what what do you feel about that? I feel like in the past, yes. Mm -hmm. But now, just the way the world is now, um, no. I don't feel like, not so much anymore. Um, If we're able to really start investing and putting our money (laughs) together properly, Mm -hmm. then you could say, you know, fully, completely no. But like, uh, you know, example Black Panther, of course. Mm. As many black people went out to support that movie, you know, mm. it's like you didn't need the white audience, even though in the background it's still Marvel and white investors and things like that. So that's why it's like you can't fully say, you know. Yeah, yeah. You can't, you kind of like you can't have one without the other. Yeah. There's always going to be. That's what I was like, maybe eventually, but still present day right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you still do. <laughs> um, let's jump back since we're going to be all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, black confidence and how it's always met with pushback. Mm-hmm. So before it was the KKK mm-hmm. back at this time, I would make an argument that right now it's probably the alt-right. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably the, it's probably Trump and the trumpets and yeah, uh, <laughs> the trumpets. Yes, and you only get Trump and the trumpets after a black man was probably was president for Absolutely. eight years. Yeah, so some examples of just being met with putback. I mean, nobody's really talking about it much anymore. I mean, you look at Colin Kaepernick mm-hmm. and you look at the things he's doing. He's mm-hmm. straight blackballed. Or more recently, uh, LeBron and the Fox people. Yeah. The Fox lady, you heard about that, Laura, mm-hmm. Laura Ingram or whatever. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't even say her name. But, <laughs> yes. but, you know, you got them saying shut up and dribble to LeBron. Right. Because he's using his platform. Exactly. And I find it interesting because they'll shut down any minority or any black person using their platform as a narrative. Right. Using their platform to, to push a narrative or to, to speak up for social matters. Yeah, freedom but, of speech doesn't apply to us. Yeah, <laughs> but then at the same token, they'll turn around and, and do the dab on the evening news. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, it's yes. always like, it's always they picking and choosing what parts of the culture they want to acknowledge. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or you, even Black Lives Matter. All lives matter. Uh, right. Yeah, so it's always like just just the pushback, and I think it's crazy. Like the things that aren't for them, they mm-hmm. have to address. They have mm-hmm. to say something about it. They just always need to be the most important. You know, as soon as the light ain't shining on them, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, no, wait, no. <laughs> like, okay, uh, <laughs> relax. Uh-huh. <laughs> you always have the shine. Chill out. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's crazy how the media will portray a black teen wearing a hoodie mm-hmm. as a thug mm-hmm. but that same black teen wearing a hoodie doing a cool new dance yeah. will make its way you right. know 
right. and it's like we can only be acknowledged once they once they didn't control the narrative through minstrel shows right or whatever is when they had a problem of the narrative we chose or were choosing to display right you know uh it's kind of like they're just obsessed with our culture pretty and much I, I think that's that's well documented Right. Because, you know, that they had the story, you know, in a nice, neat little package. That's what it uh-huh. is. That's what it's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. now that, you know, especially with the Black Lives Matter movement, it's coming back into, you know, black love, black power. And mm. it's in no way to shun anyone else. It's just that we need to uplift ourselves because of the I mean, yeah, they started showing positive imagery but if you look you know especially starting with like gangster rap and all that type of stuff Mm. like there was a decline of our image and of course we know that's just one side of it but from the outside looking in you know that's all we are just you know we just all live in the hood you know what i'm saying and we're all violent and Mm -hmm. you know that even those people that live in the hood and that are violent are still you know, regular, people. yeah, regular, normal people. People. Yeah, so it's like we're getting back into, you know, expressing ourselves in a more beautiful manner. And nope, that's not okay. Why can't we have, you know what I mean, self-love? <laughs> it's either, it's either if, we, if we're not gangsters, we expect it to be entertainers. Mm-hmm. Or if we're not gangsters, we expect it just to be quiet and... And don't don't cause no ruckus, you know. Right. It was funny because I did a lot of my research for this topic while I was at work, and I do work with a whole bunch of white folk. <laughs> and I'm I'm looking over my shoulder, minimizing screens and stuff. Like I feel like I feel like I'm not even supposed to be reading. Like like, <laughs> yo, shut up. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm not even supposed to be reading this. Done. Like somebody going to tell on me or something. You right. Know? Uh- He's researching his oh, history. Oh, you know, Mass ain't gonna let you see that. Don't, don't let him see you reading and stuff. Not, not, you ain't supposed to know about the bullshit we used to do. Right, straight up. So it's like, it's almost like it's a dual, it's like a double consciousness we have to live with. Like mm-hmm. trying to stay real to ourselves, but also having to navigate a society that was built on discrimination against us. Right. Craziness. Right. Craziness. Uh, so we understand how powerful the controlling our own narrative mm-hmm. is and and what we need to do, why it's so important to have good representation. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons is the stereotypes, or if I go back, blackface loses its credibility mm-hmm. when black people are portraying themselves in a multifaceted way. Right. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. But what I found was funny and kind of to to dive off in another direction is around the time where we started pushing our own narratives mm-hmm. and the blackface menstrual show dies off mm-hmm. is when when Walt Disney, mm-hmm. Walt Disney gets his start around like 1927 and mm-hmm. pretty much all he did was use imagery from menstrual shows as an inspiration for his characters. Mm. And so if you look at old Mickey Mouse, he has the black top hat. Uh, mm. He's dressed in like slave formal wear and he got those damn white gloves. Right. You know, and it is crazy how, yeah, menstrual shows white people in blackface dies out, mm-hmm. but it gets carried on through cartoons. Mm-hmm. You know, did you get it? Yeah. Yeah. So they'll always find a way to. And I hate to keep saying they as like a blanket (laughs) statement. Them. Yeah, that those. (laughs) (laughs) The evil. Those over there. Right. But it's always like a find a way to keep the same narrative alive. And Mm -hmm. in a more sinister way, I look at things because I'm super cynical. Mm -hmm. Um, People who watch cartoons are generally kids. Mm-hmm. And if you are hiding this racist imagery in your cartoons, all you're doing is ensuring that that same stereotype will live on through generations. Right. If that was on purpose, <laughs> <laughs> if that was on purpose, they diabolical. <laughs> right. You know, but it's a, I think it's so ingrained that I don't even know if everything 
if everything is so deliberate. Some things just happen on its own when it's so ingrained in the culture or it's so ingrained mm-hmm. in society. Right. I don't know, to toot my own horn, I feel like white folk <laughs> white folk need us. I yeah, feel like culture shit. would be so lame without us. I mean, I think black culture is the most copied culture universally, let alone in America. I have some friends that, I mean, I grew up, well, I was born in Iowa. I grew up in, I don't even want to call it suburbs because it was damn near trailer park um, mm-hmm. <laughs> section of... Mm-hmm. You know, Virginia. I mean, it was suburban, but it also had, you know, its trailer park tendencies. No shade. That's what I grew up with. Uh But I have some friends from back then still now, and they're complete Trump supporters, but they, you know, listen to all this gangster rap. They always Mm want to post hood shit and all that type (laughs) of stuff. And then two seconds later, you know, you're not going to take our guns. Nah, nah, nah. Trump Trump that. Like... (laughs) pick one and it's well, like it's it's hard because it's like you know because like it's also so it's like it's like oh i know the few good black people so it's like you know they know me and a few mm. other people whatever so it's like i know they're them and their families and i know they're good people but it's still like they put that veil over where it's like it's yeah. like I don't count or the other black people they know don't count and they can still feel this way about the whole race of people. All right. Yeah. Listen, white folks, your one black friend does not account for the entire the entire black race itself. Well, I mean, just to, you know, just to even just ignore it, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so how are you talking all this shit? And it's like, what about, you know, you love me and my family, but you can't mm. talk all this racist shit against black people and exclude me out of it. I'm part of that, too. Mm. You know, you know, I think the double consciousness and I think we as black people have to recognize this as well. And I think we talked about this yesterday before uh, before we recap is that there is a double consciousness inside of black people living in America. And, but that also and creates many a, white people. <laughs> but <laughs> but I think yeah. <laughs> there also is a double consciousness inside of white people as well, mm-hmm. and we kind of neglect that. Like as much as we we're, we're quick to to point out certain behaviors that we exhibit as a culture as a direct correlation through slavery, mm-hmm. and we don't actually understand that if we're affected. In, uh, by slave by slavery mm-hmm. if we're affected by racism mm-hmm. white folks are affected by it too and they might not acknowledge that right. they are right but there's certain things that go hand in hand so it's a double consciousness and field the fact that your white friends can scream pro-trump mm-hmm. this that and the third but then consider themselves progressive at the same time mm-hmm. kind of points to that it right. points that there is this, like, I don't know, this this caveat that some people have or this, right. you know. Um, remember, we were talking yesterday and my girlfriend brought this up to me. The mindset of how dangerous racism is, period, to everybody. Right. Like, we kind of always, since since we are the ones affected, we believe the most, um, we always look at racism as just to be disruptive against black people but also i'm sorry i'm so sorry to cut you off but also too when you're growing up always being taught that you're you know the winner yeah (laughs) and everything yeah yeah, you're that you're always taught that you're the best you're the winner you know everything your people have done is to benefit you know, the progression of America or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether you want to or not, you're always going to feel like you're better. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So, it's ingrained. Yeah. And I think now, too, especially with, you know, so many people calling out white culture, calling out the white culture on their bullshit. And, mm-hmm. you know, because remember, I was saying this before, like how colonizing didn't used to sound like a bad word. Like yeah. that, you know, yeah. they colonized this, they colonized that. Yeah, like, yeah, we colonized da, da 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 Now when you say it, it's like people really have 
the background and the definition really stuck in their head now because so mm. many, you know, different cultures are calling them out on that shit. Now it sounds like a bad word if you call them a colonizer. Y'all fucking, yeah. Like, you are a colonizer now. I think that, I think too, that's what's starting to get to a lot of people is the fact that their history now, it doesn't look so good anymore. Yeah. And yeah, it's and- so much bad history that it's just like, fuck like our people just <laughs> yeah so it's, it's like that's not our fault <laughs> mm-hmm. you know you know what i think it points and i think it too just like i think we're understanding more of the repercussions of colonization just as as a society period right. white or black we're starting to see okay this behavior down the line is problem is is problematic so I think time has to pass as well. Like time yeah, has Yeah, definitely. To, but yeah. like we were saying too when we were talking about this before, like, you know, it's it's white people's job to reprogram themselves. Like we can't nobody else can do that for them. You know, they have mm-hmm. to relearn compassion and equality. <laughs> and let's let's put this out. It's not all white people. No, of course not. Uh, yeah, it's but not all like white people. but like we were saying, still, no matter what, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, no matter what there's still, something in there within you you know just like some people have to work harder at getting rid of slave mentality than others you know but within all of us it's still in the back of our minds you know what i mean Mm. that like what we were taught when we were younger like that's just all that we were yeah you know i don't know nothing you know uh you mentioned before uh somebody at the school you work asked who's your favorite african-american artist no, American artist. American artist. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm. you don't know, because I, you know, I always had like Monet, like as my favorite yeah. artist, but he's not American. So mm-hmm. when he was like your favorite American artist, I was just like, uh, let me get back to you. But after yeah. studying the Harlem Renaissance more in depth, like you know, all the Black American artists that took place. You know, that, I mean, that contributed to that, you know, those definitely be on my list now. Like, now I feel proud Mm. to have some American artists that I can say, you know, are inspiring or that, you know, I want to call my favorites. And we wouldn't even know. We wouldn't. No, we didn't didn't learn that shit in art history. The fuck? That's why I was sleeping. Like, Mm. (laughs) it's dry as shit. Like, it's annoying. It's like, it's frustrating because as long as that class was. Mm-hmm. Yo, like, oh my gosh. Like, you couldn't take one night to go over this? Yeah, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, there's a lot of things. I think we're going to have to revisit a lot of topics that we didn't learn in school. And we're going to have to go out of our way to educate ourselves on on yeah. the stuff they just bypassed. I mean, you have a son. Right. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure you're taking some measures to incorporate yeah. some things they're leaving out of the curriculum. Which oh, is ev- definitely. Everything. And I think, too, that's kind of why it's rough right now, because I also work in a school. It's mm. rough right now trying to teach history, because I even see, like, my teacher that I work with, she's Italian. Um, mm. And sh- I see her kind of dance around certain issues, because she's always been interested in Black history and stuff like that, just from talking with her. Mm. Uh, she told me when she was a kid, she dressed up as Rosa Parks, like, because she's always, like, just <laughs> admired her, and everybody made fun of her, and she was just like, I'm going to be Rosa Parks. Like, fuck what y'all said. No way. All right, Kathy. Right? Go ahead, girl. (laughs) But um, I've seen her, too, like, kind of dance around certain topics because it's hard to talk about, you know, say, um, Columbus or Thanksgiving and things like that Mm because now information is so widespread. You know, it's kind of hard to just spread these lies now you can't sweep it under the rug anymore. yeah um because i know there's there's a kid in the classroom next door to me and his mom would not let him participate in any type of because his family's native would mm. not let him participate in any type of thanksgiving you know what i'm saying and i mean rightfully so it's bullshit yeah and i don't yeah. even think we covered columbus like we just didn't even because it was just like nah but I will. I am proud to say that we just did a section on um, what country was that? The kids. Do you remember what country I told you? Uh, I'm mad. I don't remember this right now. It wasn't Kenya, but shoot. Oh God, I don't remember, but I do remember you talking about it. Was it Ghana? 
I think it was Ghana. And the, yeah, it was Ghana. You're right. It was okay. Ghana. And, you know, we went over the lesson, had the kids do a PowerPoint, looking up different festivals in Ghana. I was like, I know that wasn't in the social studies book. Go ahead, girl. Like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I appreciate, you know, that. But yeah, like nowadays, just teaching the children, like you really got to do a lot of at home <laughs> schooling. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, talking with them because, I mean, my mom gave me roots. And like, <laughs> it's like, thanks, I mean, but, you I got know, Amistad. Yeah, like, you know, it's like, thanks, but just from using, I mean, right, we didn't have the internet like we did now, you know what uh-huh. I'm saying? So they're just, our parents are just telling us what they know. So yeah. being able to research, though, like, they really, not, there's no excuse now. Yeah, yeah. To teach yeah. our children that, you know, it's not just slavery isn't our beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think growing up, growing up and that being your only example of black people in your your history Mm -hmm. um, has to has to affect us. It's affected me. I mean, clearly it it affects everybody. If that's your only thing you can look through in your history. You know what I think? I think uh, along with 40 acres and a mule, (laughs) I think all black people should get my ancestry free <laughs> all black people in america i mean really though yeah because i was just gonna say like especially growing up like in a predominantly white school and when you yeah. cover slavery or any type of black history in quotations black history yeah. um and everybody turns and looks at you and Hell it's just like yeah. oh my god or when they fucking come up to you and i mean the children i mean i based off the ignorance of children but when they come up to you and they're like Oh, what part of Africa are you from? It's like, how the... Did you not listen to the fucking lesson? (laughs) But I mean, even though, even still, like, sometimes... Because, I mean, it's not white people's experience. They don't think about this type of shit shit because it doesn't affect them. Like, Mm -hmm. even now, like, when I'm in school and with my teacher and stuff... And, like, they'll be going, like, I think we went over uh, immigration, talk about Ellis Island, all that type of stuff, you know. And, I mm. mean, she's Italian. She knows her mom and dad are Italian. They can trace their stuff back. They came in through Ellis Island. You know, they have that, you know, the fortune of that. So then mm. it was kind of like having the kids fill out. And, I mean, my class is third grade, so they don't fully understand um and I also work with children that have autism. So they they don't fully understand, you know what I mean? Yeah. about backgrounds and stuff and um i mean my son does my son's not autistic but my son does because i kind of you know i tell him the bullshit yeah but it was kind of like yeah so you know write down you know where's your family from da, 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 da. and it's like bitch we can't really <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> we can't what the fuck am i say DC? like we don't Okay, yeah, but that's the thing. The kids were like, Texas. One kid was like, Canada. One boy just likes to say Canada. I don't even know if that's really, but <laughs> it's like, yeah, everybody was just saying like local states and stuff. And the teacher was kind of looking like, mm, but I'm looking like, that's yeah. all they fucking know. And yeah. I think she caught on the way I was looking like, don't press them because they don't know unless you want to really get into a whole nother discussion right now. You know, they cannot tell you their lineage. You know, we don't have the fortune of that. It is so important. Yeah. So So it's like, and then the kids too didn't even understand, like, you could say Africa, but they didn't get that, you know what I mean, necessarily. And Mm. it's sad, you know? Yeah, it's sad. It's Mm -hmm. real sad. I still don't know. Like, I have, um, I know my mother's family, my grandfather was from Louisiana, Mm -hmm. I believe. And my father's family is from Kingston. Yeah. Jamaica, Kingston, Jamaica. My father came here when he was like 13. I know nothing on Mm -hmm. my father's side. Right. Nothing at all on my father's side. Mm -hmm. And I have an Irish last name. Like, where the hell that come from? Yeah. I would like to to know, you know. Totally. Thank you, slavery. Yeah, right. (laughs) I know. I think it's so important that we do reach back from time to time and try to see what we can learn from the past and see if it presents itself the same way in the future. And I thought it was just doing all this research back to the Harlem Renaissance and black culture. Um, I thought it was crazy how some of the same shit that we look today, that we go through today, we're still asking ourselves the same questions. We're still fighting the same fight in one way or another. You know, it's probably a lot more or less dramatic now 
super psychological now. Yeah. But, but I mean, no, we also have the different, you know, sects within our culture. You know, the people that you say are act white or, you know, too uppity. Mm-hmm. Then you have mm-hmm. the hoteps who are super <laughs> pro-black and yada yada. And it's like, you know, um, it's, I mean, if you've been to Africa and lived over there, okay. But even in Africa, you know, I'm sure it's not just black and white. There's so many different countries. Like, there's no one way yeah. to be African. Um, and I mean, especially now, given the Western culture, our culture, I mean, Amer- sorry, American culture has an influence all around the world now. Yeah, but, sure. you know, like, people over here now, they're still like, you know, when you try to connect to your African roots, it's almost like you feel like you're being phony. Because you don't really exactly know how to do it. You're just kind of going off what you see and what you, you know, what you may know from a little bit of your research. But it's hard to, like, genuinely (laughs) do it. Mm -hmm. And I've had, I mean, I have some African friends that get annoyed um, with black people trying to, you know, dress in, you know, African garb or things like that. and. I was talking with her, one of my friends, and I'm like, you know, um, I don't remember what I said, but her point, her point was why she, why it upset her was because, and this is so true, um, being an African immigrant coming to he, coming here and growing up here, they were made fun of so badly. Yes, African yes, yes, booty yes. scratcher, yada mm-hmm. yada yada. I've always been like enamored just like fascinated with african people because i'm just like oh my god like you know what i mean just meeting especially like where i grew up it was just oh my god i was so lucky to grow up there in alexandria virginia it was so many different immigrants from all over like i met so many different people that i didn't even know existed so you know you had your somalians ethiopians eritreans you had your liberians you know, mm-hmm. your Kenyans. It was just like, so I got to see so many different types of African people. So me personally, you know, I never felt discriminatory, you know, to say those ignorant type of things. But I know plenty of people who act that it. way. And that's that self-hate that we learn. You know what I mean? Yeah. Growing up yeah. in this country. So that's why it's like, I get it. But she was like, you know, if you're genuinely trying to connect to the culture, I feel you. But don't be the person who was growing up talking all that shit. And all of a sudden now, because it's a fad and it's cool, you want to wear kente cloth and, you know, the dashikis and stuff. Yeah. So it's like, I, I hear feel you. you. But I I mean, I guess it's two, it's two different experiences. Like me, but I'm American. You know, it's kind of like, I'm glad that you're trying to connect. But, you know, other people, I can understand why they would have a chip on their shoulder. Yeah, I mean, you also, you got to give people room to grow up as well. Yeah. Room to get more information and really start deciding. I wonder how many people who was running around saying African booty scratches were saying it just because they heard it. No, absolutely. Booty, yeah, booty to a (laughs) eight-year-old kid is funny regardless of what context. But then, too, the problem was, too, the, the... the visualization of Africa that we had growing up was nothing but those fucking feed the children commercials. The that's fly all, on their forehead. That's that's all that we that. saw growing up. You know what I yeah, mean? Of Africa. Yeah. That everybody was starving. You know? So when you... You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of like... I don't know. I've always just been a more compassionate person. <laughs> so I mean, I've never understood... I mean, yeah, but I've never understood, you know, making fun of someone but i think too because i moved around so much and i just saw so many di- types of people you know uh-huh. i don't know what well, it's like. i think you were always putting in a place where you kind of you were the new girl at all times so it's like always. not ruffling any feathers you know <laughs> yeah. but also too i just felt sympathy because i was always like you said always the new girl so i, I yeah. saw so many different situations i was yeah i don't know never a dickhead there's a lot of them i'm a dickhead sometimes 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 you need to be a dickhead no but not to where you're making fun of something that somebody can't control yeah of course of course of course goes without saying all right well do you believe (laughs) that's all folks Thank you guys for tuning in for this week's episode of the podcast. Uh, we enjoy all the support. 
I hope you guys were able to follow along because we jumped every which way. And I think that's what makes it fun to talk freely and talk about uh, these topics. There is no way we're going to fit everything in in no. under an hour. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope we did a good enough job to get the conversation started on your end, you know. Yeah, this is definitely a conversation starter because, like you said, we're jumping all over the place, but it's such a broad topic and it's something that, you know, we are all living right now. So we can definitely pick back up, you know, on another episode, elaborating more and getting more in depth about the Harlem Renaissance because there is a lot of stuff that we left out. But like you said, hopefully, you know, it sparks your interest to want to research on your own. Um, There's a few really good documentaries um, that we can post links to at the bottom. Um, That's a good starting point that will really open up your eyes and, you know, maybe motivate you to keep on researching. Yeah, and have you draw your own conclusions. Right. See the parallels for yourself. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I got to get out of here. It's Easter Sunday. I'm about to eat good. (laughs) I'm on a diet, so fuck you. (laughs) Listen, about to be summertime sexy. Yeah, right. (laughs) All right, Britt. All right, man. Till next time. Yep. I'm still mad and keep static like wood fabric. Once